We are almost at the end of this beautiful series and book that we've been studying for the last six months. Can you believe it's been that long? And I know last week I asked that and someone said yes. And that was, that was my mom who said that. I'm not sure what that means exactly, but we're going to carry on. We have about three or four lessons left in First John. Probably takes us to the end of October uh, before we've completed this book. But if you have your Bibles, join us in First John chapter 5. The series title we've been going through is called For His Glory and For For His Glory and For Our Benefit. And today that is our goal to glorify His great name and to benefit His people. First John chapter 5, the lesson title is going to be called The Greatest Gift of All Time. And it's so interesting how the Lord syncs these things up sometimes, Jason. Where you perfectly help us transition into the lesson to talk about the gift of eternal life. Because that happens to be right where we are in First John chapter 5, verses 11 to 13. So we have the privilege to talk about the greatest gift of all time, just as Jason spoke to us a little bit about. So if you have your Bibles, you can also use one of the Bibles on the bookshelf back there. Those are for your use, and even if you need to take one home and keep it, you can. Uh, but you can take that there and open to 1 John 5. We're going to be reading from verses 11 to 13. Before we get there, I do have a little bit of an icebreaker now. You guys know I typically do, I typically do sort of a top 10 in my icebreaker. Well, I told you it's going to be shorter today. I have a top five. <laughs> Just to prove to you that I have thought about how to shorten this thing, I'm doing five icebreakers. So, what's the best gift you've ever received? If I asked you that question, you had to think about that for a little bit of time. Think about, yes, Jesus. That should be number one by a landslide. But if you start thinking about growing up and, and be, being a kid and having birthdays and Christmases, if I would have asked you as a kid growing up, what was your greatest present of all time? I'd be curious to see your answers. Well, I'm going to give you five of mine. Five of the greatest gifts that I've ever received. Number one is having eight kids. And I know most of you are going, hmm, doesn't sound like a gift to me. But let me explain why having eight kids is a gift. It's very simple. My wife and I always win the argument with other people when it comes to who is the most tired. Always. Oh, you had a hard week? Well, we have eight kids. Oh, you're tired from working a double shift? Well, we have eight kids. Oh, it's hard for you to get up and go to church? Well, we have eight kids. You see the pattern there? Sometimes having eight kids could be a gift. Here's another gift that I think is a great gift that God has given me. I'm 6'1". Six 6'1". One. Six one. I think that's a gift. And I think it's a gift because of two reasons. I was too short to be expected to live up to my dad's basketball legacy. My dad was 6'6", six six, had 100 free ride scholarships to go to college, Division I, and had a tryout with the Detroit Pistons. And then he had two sons, and he got really excited because he thought these sons were going to go pro. And then God made me 6'1". Just short enough to not have to live up to my dad's legacy, but tall enough to get the tiebreaker vote in college when I was dating, and my friends were all 5'9 and 5'10". So thank you, Lord, for a little bit of height, but not too much height. Here's another one, and you guys will understand. This doesn't sound like a good gift, but I, I have somewhat of a bad back. Anyone else bad back? Kind of a, yeah... There's a few in the audience. Well, a bad back is a gift for me, at least, because I have gotten out of numerous manual labor tasks <laughs> by playing the bad back card. Oh, it's just a little ginger. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to bow out of this one, and you'll understand. My back's just a little ginger this morning. It's a little bit of a joke. Maybe I enhance that a little bit. But here's number four gift, I've, best gift I've ever received, is I have no handyman skills at all. Anyone else not handy at all? Am I the only one in the audience? <laughs> That's why I preach. Jason, <laughs> that's why we're missionaries. 
Missionaries and pastors have no skills otherwise. And that, the reason that's a gift is because Janine, my wife, never asks me to fix anything. <laughs> never. She says things like, honey, why don't you call the repairman and go work on your sermon and I'll bring you some coffee. Because she knows I have no skills. Uh, number five, greatest gift I've ever received is being a pastor. Being a pastor is a great, tremendous gift. I've also been a missionary, another tremendous gift. But being a pastor, I can begin sentences with this. In light of eternity, dot, dot, dot. You know, in light of eternity, does it really matter that my icebreaker was lame? In light of eternity, was my sermon really that long? Yes. I'm calling you into my office for a meeting, Kevin. In light of eternity. How about this one? In light of eternity, does it really matter if I ever see a moose? It actually does. I'm going to see that moose. But to transition us into our lesson today, of course, the greatest gift of all time was meant, we mentioned was Jesus Christ and his gift, God's gift of eternal life. Amen? Because the free gift of eternal life allows us to courageously follow Jesus. And I believe that is the goal of the eternal life. If you have your Bibles, join us in 1 John chapter 5. I'm going to read three verses today. 1 John 5, verses 11 to 13. John says this, And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. I hope you can say amen to that. Last week we spoke about all we need from 1 John chapter 5, verses 5 to 10, and you can tell these lessons all hold hands, and they're supposed to. Because last week we spoke about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the one whom eternal life flows from and, and flows because of. And so we want to keep this lesson in context simply by reading the passage from last week. I think that's an important thing that we do so we can sort of support what we're saying today. So let's read our verses from last week just to support what John is telling us today. He said in 1 John 5, verses 6 to 10, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And that perfectly sets up what John's going to tell us today about the gift of eternal life. So our three-point outline, although it's going to be brief, more brief today, is number one, the testimony of eternal life. Number two, the source of eternal life. And number three, the confidence that we get because of eternal life. Let's start with here, the number one, the testimony of eternal life. Now, I have eight children. I told you that most of you know that already. And from time to time, my kids get to do fun things. This past summer, someone in the church paid for our whole family to go to a place called Storyland. Anyone ever been to Storyland? Well, to my kids, it was like paradise. My kids had a blast at Storyland. It was, it was a great day full of fun and excitement and rides and fun things to eat. It was so fun, my kids couldn't stop talking about Storyland and when we could go back to Storyland. 
And then my mother-in-law visited from Michigan and she found another amusement park in the area called Santa's Village. Anyone been to Santa's Village? And for some reason, she decided to plant this idea in my children's mind that next summer, they're all going to Santa's Village um, via my grandma, my, via my mother-in-law, their grandma. So from going to Storyland and hearing that they're going to Santa's Village, that's all my kids could talk about for weeks and weeks. In fact, they wanted to watch videos and trailers about Santa's Village. They wanted to see a little bit of a sampling. And my kids really had this idea that they, they wanted to do this every day of their life if they possibly could. They wanted to go to Storyland, Santa's Village, whatever else you got. My, my twins' ultimate dream is to go to Universal Studios. And they have calculated down to the penny how much money it would take to get all 10 walkers, probably 11, because my mom would have to go, to Orlando, Florida to go to Universal Studios, just to say it's a lot of money. And uh, I don't think their allowance can cover it, unfortunately. But you, th you would think that's how kids operate. Kids' minds aren't fully functional yet and don't understand that there's, the world is a little bit more complex than just having the best fun you can all the time. Because that's how kids think. But it's not that much different than adults. Sadly, there's something in our culture called hedonism. I don't know if you've heard of this concept before, but hedonism is basically this motto here, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Now, isn't that a sad concept? Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, or tomorrow we could die. So therefore, the mantra is, live it up. Have as much fun and experience as many things as you possibly can, because after we're dead, there's nothing else. After we're dead, all the joy, all the good things are gone. So therefore, let's go and experience as many of those things as we can while we can. And I think that's a very sad concept because that does not represent our God, does it? We don't have to live that way. Thankfully, we don't have to live that way because we're talking about the gift of eternal life today. John says in verse 11, and this is the testimony that God gave us. Notice it. Eternal life. And this life is in his son. I love the simplicity of 1 John, don't you? It just You look at it and go, I understand exactly what he means. God gave us the gift of eternal life, and that life is in his son. Have you ever tried to think about eternal life, though? You ever tried to think about eternity? You can go mad trying to think about eternity. I remember trying to do that as a kid, trying to think about how long eternity is, and eventually just going, I have to stop because my brain can't receive how long eternal life is. Because it's never ending, it's eternal. Now when you put life on the other side of eternity, this truly becomes a gift because this is what people love about living in places like New Hampshire. It's peak fall autumn in New England here in New Hampshire. And people take whole buses up here just to experience the leaf and uh, the foliage just for one short moment because life is about experiences and memories. Well, what if you could have all of that but put eternity in front of it? And of course we know life is more profound than just experiencing things on the earth. But God has life woven into his truth for his people. God desires life for us. Aren't you thankful for that? That God doesn't desire death and sadness and hopelessness and memories only? God has something far better for us in store. Now, when we were younger, we used to do strange things to try to convince our siblings and our friends that we were 
going to hold to a promise. So we did things like pinky swear. You guys ever remember that? I don't know exactly where that came from, but we used to do that as a kid, pinky swear. And that was a, that was a big thing when you pinky swore. That was huge. You couldn't break a pinky swear. Or we used to say phrases like this, cross my heart and hope to die. Stick a needle in my eye? What was going on back then? You think before the internet, things were pure and wholesome. They weren't. Something crazy was going on there. I didn't actually ever do that or think to do that. But we wanted to be able to, to add weight to the things that we were saying so that people would believe that what we were saying was going to be a promise that we would keep. It's interesting, but our God did this, didn't he? Our God decided to show the world, mankind, that his promises are secure and that they can't be broken. So back in the days of Noah, when he flooded the earth, and then Noah and his family came out of the ark and back onto the earth, he promised them, I will never flood the world again. I will never do that again. In fact, so that you know, I will put a rainbow in the sky, and that will be your symbol that I will never do that again. And then you look at Hebrews chapter 6, and it says something remarkable about our God. It says that God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which, notice it, it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. Do you notice that? The two things, the two unchangeable things that the writer of Hebrews is talking about is God by his very nature cannot break a promise. Now, we do all the time, sadly. We break promises and we don't stand by them. And we mean well when we say it. Sometimes that happens even in marriage, right? We say our vows and we mean it at the time, but things change down the road and we break that promise. But God cannot by his very nature because he's God. For God to break a promise means he's not God. He's just like us. But God decided to do something even more. He decided to put his own name and glory upon that promise. Everything that God cares about is within his own name and glory. And he took that name and took that glory and put it upon his covenant and his promises with his people. So that we would know by two unchangeable things, it is impossible for God to lie. So that we would have hope and confidence and courage in this life. Isn't that remarkable that God did it that way? Because when people want to swear, and they even do this in the courtroom setting, what do they do? They take out the Bible, don't they? Or they use the name of God because they can't think of anything higher to swear by than the name of God and the Holy Scriptures. Now that's a very dangerous thing when we do that. But God can do that because that's his name. That's his glory. And God decided to let us know that he is going to seal up these promises as tight as they possibly could be so there's no way for them to break. And so he tells us, and this is the testimony or the record or the promise that God gave us, eternal life. And his life is in his son. And I think that's a remarkable thing to understand. That once you understand that God offers us eternal life and promises eternal life, his promise cannot be broken. It cannot be broken. I need you to notice a phrase, though. This life is in his son. And I, I need to do this carefully because I'm trying to do the opposite of demean our Lord Jesus. I'm trying to exalt him. So this happens at our house from time to time, too. We'll get an Amazon package. And you guys remember that old um, Russian guy who did the, the Pavlov's dog thing? You guys remember that? He had the little, the little uh, experiment with his dog that every time he gave him a, a little treat, the dog would salivate. Or every time he'd ring a bell, it meant the dog was getting a treat and the dog would salivate every time he rang a bell. And then he started to ring the bell and not give him a treat and the dog would salivate anyways because he expected the treat. Well, when an Amazon package arrives at our door, you know what our kids are thinking is inside? 
a toy. Sometimes it's a toiletry. Sometimes it's curtains. Sometimes it's the most mundane, boring thing you could ever imagine. But the kids have noticed that when an Amazon package comes to the door, there possibly could be something exciting in there because there has been before. So the kids are going, oh yeah, Amazon package time. And Marcus especially, I love my little four-year-old Marcus, he is transfixed on the package. What is in the package? How was your day, Marcus? I don't care, Dad. What is in the package? Open the package. And nine times out of 10, he's incredibly disappointed <laughs> to find out it's toenail clippers or something weird. But the cool thing about this is it's a little bit of an illustration. Inside that boring, mundane package can be something glorious, at least for a child, right? It's interesting, when Jesus came to this earth, he's not what anybody expected, is he? He wasn't rich. He didn't look like a king. He, there wasn't a red carpet rolled out. There wasn't a palace that he lived in. He was a carpenter's son. He was simple. He was common. He looked like nothing. But then he gave the world eternal life by his death on the cross and his resurrection. And John is telling us this life is in God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is where we understand that John is bringing up a contrast between something really we don't want to talk about, but is it a reality, and something we love to talk about, which we're talking about today, death and life. And the two couldn't be more contrasted, could they? Because death means it's over, and life means it's just begun. Death means hopelessness, life means hope, death means gloom, life means joy. The two couldn't be more different in our world, in our understanding of our mind. And yet John is bringing them up as a contrast. And often in this world, they live side by side, don't they? They live right next to each other. There's a fine fabric between the two, between death and life. And sometimes we're wondering, how can the two live so close, yet be so far apart from one another? And we see that in our life. We, we experience life. We experience death. But we also see that spiritually, don't we? In the same passage that Jason brought up when he was talking about the free gift of God, Paul sets this up in Ephesians chapter 2 by talking about death and life. He says in verse 1, And you, all of us, were dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked. Again, he doesn't say badly off or hooked up to life support. He said you were dead. It was so bad in the eyes of God, spiritually speaking, that every single one of us were dead. But aren't you thankful for verse 4? But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Notice it. Where does life come from? Christ Jesus. And this is the testimony of God, that although we were dead, we can be alive forevermore. And God will seal that promise with the blood of his son and the glory of his great name that we who were dead can be alive. We can go from this really horrible reality of being spiritually dead and awaiting condemnation for our sins and things couldn't be bleaker. And in fact, I think that's where hedonism comes from is that they know the other side is grim and we don't want to talk about it, we don't want to think about it. So let's just experience all the great things that life has for us while we have it. But to God, that's not good enough, is it? 
God doesn't care about hedonism. He wants something greater than that. He wants eternal life. He wants us to experience the transformation of a person going from hopeless to full of hope. And that is our God that we celebrate. That is our God that we teach. And he says, this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life, and his life is in his son. And I hope you're thankful for that, because I am. That is the testimony of our great God. And that testimony cannot be thwarted. Let's now talk about the source of eternal life, number two. Now, I put a little arrow there to remind me that I need to warn you, okay? The next slide is going to be something so, so beautiful, okay? If any of you struggle with too much beauty, now's the time to leave, okay? Because <laughs> the next slide is going to blow your mind with the amount of beauty. And I just need to warn you, okay? If that triggers anybody, there, here it comes. Are you guys ready for this? Behold, Iowa. <laughs> now... I can poke fun at Iowa because we lived in Iowa. My, there it is. I know how to spell. Now, if I asked you without a contrast, is this a beautiful picture? Most of us would say, yes, it is. You got green fields, green grass, a blue sky with clouds and texture. There's beauty in that picture, is there not? You can experience the beauty of Iowa. There's beauty in Iowa and all the states of the United States. But the problem is, is once you experience something else, such as, let's see if the screen comes up here. Boy, I'm really holding you guys in suspense here today. Because <laughs> it came up behind my screen. No, not going to happen? Let's try one more time. Come on. Boy, the suspense is killing you guys. What's it going to show us? Well, I'm just going to have to hold it up here. New Hampshire. New Hampshire. Now, I've lived in Iowa and I live in New Hampshire. And although I find beauty in Iowa, there is beauty in Iowa. Um, the two aren't on the same scale. Okay? I don't think there are buses. <laughs> I don't think. Arriving at Iowa to see the corn. I could be wrong. I just don't think that's happening because the beauty of New Hampshire far surpasses the beauty of Iowa, even in its fullest glory. Isn't that beautiful? And that's over here, the kank. You guys, many of you have driven on the kank. I got to drive the kank the other day and experience the kank in full glory. And I believe this is the Franconia Notch. Is that Artist Bluff? Do you guys know what that is? Yeah. Haven't yet seen that exact picture, but the beauty of New Hampshire. But maybe there's something even more beautiful, and we'll see if my screen um, behaves now. Because maybe there's another, there's another higher tier of beauty. And I told you I have eight kids. I've been able to experience the gift of life over and over in my family. And I, I've come to one conclusion. I'm addicted to beauty. I am. I'm married to Janine, who's beautiful. I have eight kids, and every one of them are beautiful, and I live in New Hampshire. I have a problem. <laughs> I'm addicted to beauty. But you know what's interesting about all these pictures, including Iowa, all the way up to, to birth itself and life itself, is that who's the source of all of it? God is, our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the source of everything that we consider to be valuable and beautiful in this world and well beyond, into the very gates of heaven. Jesus is responsible for all of it. Notice what John says, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Do you see how simple it is with First John? With Jesus, we have life. No Jesus, 
No life. Now we have life here on the body of the earth. Everyone experiences life here on the earth for a, for a time, for a season. But when hedonism is the only conclusion you can come to, that's a sad reality. Because that means you have nothing to look forward to. Everything you experience is one day going to be in the rearview mirror. And memories are great, aren't they? We enjoy memories. But memories aren't enough for tomorrow, are they? And my kids illustrate that from time to time. They love Storyland, but they're already talking about Santa's Village. Because Storyland is over. And they're looking to tomorrow's joy. And John says, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And we're going to take a little bit of a journey. We don't have a long time to do this. But I, want to, I just want to implant this upon all of us today, that Jesus is the source of all things, including eternal life. In John chapter 1, the Gospel of John, the same writer, John says it this way. He says, all things, notice it, all things were made by him. And he is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, without him was not anything made that was made. Do you notice it? All things. All things that are good, all things that are beautiful, all things that are pure, all things that are righteous were made by our Lord Jesus Christ. All of it. He is the source of everything that we know and cherish and wake up thinking about. Jesus. All of it owes its creation to Jesus. In John 3.16, John goes on to say, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him, notice there's a condition. You can't just be religious. You can't just believe there's a God, can you? You must believe in the Son of God. You must believe that he is the Christ. And John, in 1 John, has reiterated this point over and over again. But if you do, do, do whoever does, whoever believes, shall not perish but have eternal life because Jesus is the source of eternal life. Without Jesus, there is no life. There's only death. There's only sadness. There's only hopelessness. With Jesus, we get all things that God expected us to have. And then Jesus said it this way. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus drew that line when he was upon the earth because he did it out of love. He wanted everyone to experience the joy, the hope, the confidence of having a relationship with God. He wanted everyone to experience eternal life. And therefore, he had to tell the entire world, it all is in me. It all comes through me. I am the source of all of it. I, uh, the world is so interesting. They love to cherry pick from the Bible. I mean, I notice this even in sports. I see people in the sports world who have tattooed Philippians 4.13 on their arm. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the whole world is cherry-picking from Jesus without the realization that he is the source of everything that we love and cherish. He is the source of everything we want out of this life and the next. It all is within the Son of God. And God himself gave us that testimony. If you want life, find Jesus. Or better yet, let him find you. In Acts 4.12, the apostles say it this way, salvation is found in, notice it, no one else. For there is no other name under heaven. Give it to man by which we must be saved. Do you notice it? Only Jesus. He is the source of eternal life. He is the source of salvation. He is the source of a relationship with God. 
And this is why at Crossroads Church we stand only upon Jesus. Because there is no one else to stand upon. If we want a relationship with God, we come through Jesus. John 7, Jesus speaking. In verses 37 to 38 said it this way, On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus took and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Streams of living water. Not physical water, not physical life, but spiritual, eternal life come from the water that Jesus offers this world. And he says, if you'll simply drink, just like you said, Jason, if you want the food, come and get it. If you want the water that Jesus offers, come and get it. Come and drink, and you can drink it today. And the streams of living water will flow from within you. And this is what makes sense of much, much of the scripture that tells the entire world you're going the wrong way. It was Jesus himself who said, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. See, the world starts going the way they think is best. I'm not wrong. I'm, I'm not perfect, but a lot of what I do is right and good, and there's a lot of pleasure in this life. I'm just going to make it up myself and do what I think is best. And the Lord Jesus Christ has to come and tell us, all of us, we're going the wrong way. And we must turn around and put our eyes upon the only one who can give us the life that we desire. It's Jesus. Repent and believe the gospel. We've talked about the testimony of eternal life. We've talked about the source of eternal life. Now we talk about the confidence of eternal life. Sometimes it feels in life like the things that we want are just before us, but we can't reach them. Does life ever feel that way to you? It's so close. I want it. I can taste it, but I can't grab it. I just wish I could. And sometimes we feel like perhaps God is built that way as well. That God has all these blessings and, and offerings to give us, but we can't really taste them yet. We can't experience them yet. And this is contrary to what John is going about to tell us today. Because God is going to tell us this in verse 13. I write these things. John's saying this. I write these things. And I think he's including the entire book of 1 John. I write these things. I write this book. I write these truths to you who believe, notice the condition, in the name of the source of eternal life, the Son of God, so that you may notice it. No. So you may have certainty that you have eternal life. He's not offering you the idea of eternal life. He's not offering you the possibility of eternal life, going, boy, wouldn't it be great if we had eternal life? Well, of course that would be great, God. He's saying, no, I want you to know that you have eternal life. That's what our God desires. Our God desires that every single person that he loves, who is every person he created, knows that they have that confidence. Now, sometimes the world's path to confidence and success goes awry, doesn't it? As smart as you are, as educated as you are, as rich as you are, sometimes life throws you a curveball. And I found this truck, and I think it perfectly represents the irony of the success that the world offers us. Because it all depends on so many factors, doesn't it? It, it depends on if you have the amount of money that you need, or if the schedules align, or if the people work out, or if all the logistics happen, or if you keep your health. 
to keep your good relationships. Sure, success is offered, but a lot of ducks have to line up in a row for you to find that success. And even when you have success, it's very short-lived, isn't it? Because life is like a vapor. And as soon as you experience joy and happiness and success and all of those things, your life starts to wane. You start to get older and you start to realize that the success I once experienced is about to leave me. That's the plan of the world. Aren't you thankful that's not the plan of God? In 2 Peter 3, 9, Peter's trying to explain something to his readers of why God, Jesus hasn't come back to this earth. Like, why hasn't he come yet? Some of us who have been in Christianity long enough are thinking that many times throughout the week, going, why the delay? Come, Lord Jesus. Come, make it today. The world is ugly and gross and dark. Come as soon as you can. And so Peter, around 2,000 years ago, wrote this to his audience. He says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. He's not behind his time. He hasn't forgotten his clock as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. And you can put your name there. You can put all of humanity there. Not wishing or wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Because when you repent and find Jesus, you find eternal life. And that is the desire of God for his creation, is that everyone find Jesus. So he's not slow in keeping his promise. He's patient so that the four corners of the earth can hear the gospel and respond and set their eyes on Jesus, the source of eternal life, so that we can experience life forevermore. And I'm so thankful my God is that way because I often lose patience with people. I do. You should be better by now. You should be with it by now. I'm going to turn the page and go to someone new. And God says, I'm going to wait as long as I possibly can for my people who I love to find eternal life. Because God wants us to have something that John's brought up before. He wants us to have confidence, doesn't he? Do you think we need confidence in this life? Does anyone need confidence in this life? I will raise my hand because this life throws a lot at you, doesn't it? A lot that you don't expect. A lot of curveballs are thrown at you. And we need confidence. We need confidence to get up the next day and, and to live it. We also need something called joy and peace. That when we lay our head down on our pillow, we lay in comfort. We lay in security. We lay in peace that tomorrow there's going to be love for us. Tomorrow there's going to be life for us. Tomorrow there's going to be hope for us. And God wants us to have confidence, joy, and peace because he loves us. So John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. You must believe in Jesus that you may know that you have eternal life. And there is the source of confidence, of peace, and joy. The fact that we will be with God forevermore. That we will be alive forevermore. That we will be joyful and peace-filled and courageous and confident forevermore. They're all within God's promise of Jesus. And this is why I've reminded you through the course of 1 John to read 1 John over and over and over because John says, I write these things to you. And I think he's saying all of them. All of the lessons I've given you in 1 John are so that you can know that you have eternal life. Read them. Listen to them. Obey them. Put your life upon these truths because they're all about one thing that you may have confidence that you're with Jesus on the last day. It was Jesus who wrote these words in John 15. These things I have spoken to you that my joy 
Jesus' version of joy may remain in you and that your joy, notice it, may be full. In John 15, he told us to abide in him. Abide in me, abide in me, abide in me. Why, Jesus? Why can't we just do our own thing? Because I want your joy to be full. And I know I'm the source of joy, Jesus says. If you don't have me, you don't have joy. If you don't have me, you don't have life. I want everything that I've offered you to be full and to be yours forever. Therefore, abide in me. Abide in me. In 1 John 4, 17, a passage we studied not too long ago, John says this, he says, In this way, love is complete among us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because in this world, we are like Jesus. If we are like Jesus in this world, we are with Jesus in the next world. It's that simple. And on the day of judgment, a sort of terrifying experience, won't it be? We will stand confidently before God because we will know that we're with Jesus and he's with us. And that nothing can harm us. Nothing can harm us. We are going to experience life forevermore because he is ours and we are his. And we're in him and he's in us. And God wants us to have that confidence, not just in the day of judgment, but today awaiting the day of judgment because it'll change our lives. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Do you know that you have eternal life? Do you know? I remember being a young 20-something, not knowing, struggling with that concept, hoping, wishing, desiring, but unsure that I had eternal life, and I had to wrestle with that with God. And I had to set my eyes once again on Jesus. Well, what's the point of this lesson today? I think it's threefold. Number one is God desires so much more for us than this world can possibly offer us. Do you remember what John said in 1 John 2? He said, do not... That's a heart. <laughs> do not love the world. Why, John? Because the world can give you nothing. Nothing true. Nothing righteous. Nothing lasting. The world can give you samples. It's like you go to an ice cream store and they give you a little bit of a sample. Is that ever enough? Do you go, man, thanks for the sample. See you later. No. You always want the full thing. The world can offer you a little bit of sample because that's what the world has to offer. God can offer you everything. So John says, I don't want you to love the world. I want you to love the one who was sent to the world to offer you joy forevermore. Number two is we must go through his son Jesus to find eternal life. And we want to make that as clear, as crystal clear as we can. We must go through Jesus. We must. There's no way, like he talked about, there's no way to be religious enough or work hard enough or be righteous enough or be in the right family or be rich enough or have higher status than the world in order so God goes on the last day, wow, you're really put together all right, come into my kingdom. No, it's only through Jesus. John says, who you who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son does not have life. Do you have Jesus? Do you have Jesus today? Number three, the hope of eternal life should completely change what we live for. Do you think it should? Do you think if you had eternal life and it was certain and for sure and had the double promise of God attached to it and you knew that no matter what happened in this life, you had eternal life, do you think that would change what you live for? Do you think that would change how you lived? I think 100% it absolutely should and will. 
if you know that you cannot die, that even death in this life is a passageway to greater, further life, do you think you would live differently than those who don't have it? Those who have a hedonism mindset. Let's leave you one, with one passage of scripture today. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5, For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live eternally, forever with God, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Do you notice what Jesus did when he came to this earth? He gave up his life so that we could have life. And now that he's given us eternal life, he asks for something in return. Now I want your life. Your life on earth is mine. To do with as I please. If I call you, I expect you to go. If I tell you to do something, I expect you to obey. And Jason, that was a beautiful example you gave of a call you received as an eight-year-old boy. Nine-year-old boy, that's remarkable. To not really understand even what missions looks like, but God's call to be on upon his life and for him to respond with saying, I will. If you did that for me, and my life belongs to you, Jesus. It's the gift of eternal life. It's the greatest gift of all time, and God offers it to every single person here. If you don't have that confidence, if you don't have that joy, if you don't have that certainty that no matter what life throws at you today, this week, or later on this year, that you will be with Jesus. You can have it today. You can drink of that water today, and that water of eternal life will well within you forevermore. It's the greatest gift of all time. Can we bow and pray? Father, thank you for this lesson. Thank you for this reminder, Father, that you are good. You are loving. Your mercy and your love have no end. Father, remind us of that today. I thank you for that reminder from Jason and Melissa that they've given their life to this message, this message of hope and eternal life for the world so they can understand that there's a loving, merciful, gracious Father who sent his only begotten son so that we could taste of eternal life and have it forevermore. Father, if there's someone in this room who has not yet experienced that eternal life, I pray that today, October 8th, 2023, would be the day they look at Jesus and say, I need you, Jesus. And I accept the free gift of eternal life you offer. Father, do that work in your soul as only you can do. And we give you all glory and praise. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.